0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning. Hi everyone. Was was that Taylor Swift that we were hearing? Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Well, I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Welcome to you if you are visiting or new this morning. We are really glad you're here, and we would love to know that you are here. Um, If you are interested in connecting at Awaken at all, you can go online and fill out a connection card. Someone from our staff will contact you. We would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice, Zoom call, kind of whatever you're comfortable with and get to know you a little bit. Um, Any ties or offerings can go into any of the black boxes here or you can give online. We're kind of in the midst of our year-end giving, trying to figure out budget things and all of that, so if you would consider Awaken, we would be very grateful for that. Um, A Couple things as far as community life and what is happening around here. Uh, So tonight we have something we do monthly, uh, Scripture Circle. It's kind of Awakens' way of saying Bible study. That is via Zoom, 6.30 p.m. You can register on the website and get that Zoom link. Um, It's kind of like a drop-in thing. It's different people every time. I know we have a good crew coming tonight, and it's actually just a good time, I don't know, to be honest and ask questions and learn together. Um, So we'd love to have you there for that. Again, we do that monthly. Uh, Let's see, sorry, I'm forgetting what I'm supposed to say right now. The Winter Market. I don't know if you saw back there, but we have like half of our staff, like selling things, Jess and her cupcakes, Mel and her music, we got CDs back there, it's real good. Micah built some things, (laughs) $5 a pop, (laughs) get them while you can. So that's happening, and then we are also are in the midst of our Advent Meal Drive. Um, That's kind of for care things around here, so if you can make a freezer meal, more information is on the website. Um, And then just a quick update on kids' community. Um, We are hoping to open all ages as soon as possible for the 9.30 gathering. We are still in need of about 15 volunteers to do that. So, whether, and it's multiple capacities, so whether that's teaching or just being a helper or like a team leader, um, we would love to have you participating in that way. If you are interested, you can contact Mandy at awakenwestseventh.com. I think that's it. Um, Well, this morning we are continuing in a series um, for Advent on the names of God as depicted in Isaiah 9. Um, and if you have been with us, you also know that we do an Advent art series, so that's part of Emily. Um, and this morning, we are going to hear from one of our actors, Larissa, uh, who has a piece this morning on peace, peace on peace. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'll read the scriptures, and then Larissa will come and um, perform for us this morning. So will you receive the words of scripture? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Larissa, um, well, I'm here to give you three steps on peace this morning. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it's funny, this series every year is so, uh, it's actually harder than you would think. I mean, so I'm up here and every week we talk about a thing like hope or love or peace or joy and like the expanse of experience in the room and we create something together around this theme. It is a tall order. And so this morning, as we reflect on the name of God, Prince of Peace, I wanted to maybe start in maybe an obvious spot, Um, but it felt right, it felt like the thing to ground us this morning. And I want to talk about the significance of a name. Uh, In many traditions, names come with really important significance, but especially the Hebrew tradition. There's a Jewish philosopher, and I would say theologian, Martin Buber, who says, uh, talks a lot about the significance of name and one of the things he says that I find really helpful, just as maybe an entry point in the expanse of that uh, theological idea of a name, uh, he talks about in the biblical text when one is asked their name. So in English, if we want to know someone's name, we just simply ask, what is your name? Tell me the syllables uh, of what I should call you, right? Um, But in the Hebrew, like that question translated directly is actually, who are you? Almost as if the question is trying to get to something else. Like the quality of a thing, the essence of a thing, like when your name shows up in the room, what comes with it? which is a lot deeper than just what is your name. And so that's why in, in the scriptures, like the changing of someone's name or the act of naming something comes with a ton of responsibility. So in the Genesis story, when the first human is tasked with naming the animals, what has to be present there is like, can you see what it is you're naming? Can you see the essence of the thing in hopes that maybe you could capture it as you give it a name? That's why when the name changes happen in the scriptures, it's such a powerful moment because the name that you had just doesn't capture like new essence, right? So when Jacob changes to Israel, when, Sarah change, when Sarai changes to Sarah, like it's a powerful moment and now, for those of us in the room who have had that responsibility of naming a thing, be it a child, a pet, a product, someone had to name Facebook, it's okay if it wasn't that deep. <laughs> it's okay if you just thought, uh, man, I, well, it sounds good, uh, and probably won't get my kid beat up at recess, so I, I'm going to go with that. I think that's a little bit of where my name came from. My parents are here this morning. Um, And I believe they found, yeah, round of applause. Uh, I believe they found my name in a magazine. Uh, Come to find out in my adult life, my name means white lady. (laughs) It's it's accurate. Uh, So, not too deep. Uh, Maybe it is, though. (laughs) Um, But I'd like to suggest for our purposes this morning, The name of God comes with something a little bit more. It's trying to say something about who God is. And so, in the scriptures, when we see this vast array of the names of God, it's trying to uh, invite us to tap into something. It's inviting us to experience that part of God, to hope in that part of God, to meditate on that part of God. To maybe even treasure that part of God. So, Prince of Peace, I realize that that maybe that practice this morning of asking you to enter uh, that maybe comes with some vulnerability because sometimes our realities are very different uh, than what that name is trying to express. Uh, and I just want to say up front that's kind of the point of this morning. So all that to say, what does it mean for God's name to be Prince of Peace? Like, if that truly captures an essence of God, what are we then invited to experience, to know? And so to attempt to speak to that, I wanted to situate us in a little bit of context. So Micah, a couple of weeks ago, uh, had talked about, we're in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah the prophet is ministering during a time uh, in Israel's history, where they are anticipating a period of exile. So maybe said differently, Assyria is kind of the world power, and what Israel is anticipating is a time of displacement in which they are a conquered people. Um, the prophets are attempting to warn the people of this. They're attempting to make meaning of it, and they're even attempting to like move the people towards correcting some things that they. Um, believe are, are leading to this uh, time in exile, namely, like, their unfaithfulness. And so a lot of Isaiah 139 is a lot of, like, judgment language. Um, this is coming, and, and these are the reasons. But we get to our passage, and it's like all of a sudden this breath, like this vision of hope, a reminder that this figure being referred to bears these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, as if to remind the people that despite a certain coming reality, like this figure, would come and bring a different one. Now growing up, I had a very strong reference point for this particular name of God, Prince of Peace, uh, mostly because I was steeped in Christian music. Uh, and they really liked to throw that name around, Prince of Peace, and I sang it with fervor. <laughs> um, and as a kid, I don't know, I just knew it was catchy. Um, I don't know that I really knew what I was saying when I was singing Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, this phrase is sar shalom. And so the word sar in Hebrew, translated prince, uh, also shows up throughout the text as official, leader, captain. It has a pretty wide usage, but the idea behind it is this authority figure or like a power over something. And shalom, the Hebrew word translated here for peace, if you've been around at all, you've maybe heard us talk about shalom because that is actually a really critical theological concept as it relates to God's vision for creation. Uh, Shalom is this picture of wholeness, like rightly ordered relationship between God and humanity and all of creation, kind of extending in all directions. It's painting this picture of harmony, like realized, where all the created things are living out their intent, like the essence, the name, right? And so what that looks like is justice realized, pain healed, wounds forgiven, earth restored, systems and structures that help and not harm, And so when the author puts these words together, sar, shalom, what the author is saying in giving that name to God, what is being said about God is that God is power over, the agent of shalom, this harmony of all things. And that vision of shalom is massive. It's all-encompassing and entirely under the power of God. And so I want to pull on that power piece of things, God being the agent of Shalom, in control of Shalom, this name of God in its context, in Isaiah 9, is actually really important for us to talk about because it's intended to point the Israelites to a hope of an actual physical realization of Shalom despite their coming displacement. So NetBible is an online tool, if you are interested in anything like that. uh, It has a lot to do with grammar, but every once in a while, they'll have some really interesting interpretive pieces around things. And this is what they say. So this title, Prince of Peace, pictures the king as one who establishes a safe socioeconomic environment for his people. It hardly depicts him as a meek individual, for he establishes peace through military strength. His people experience safety and prosperity because their invincible king destroys their enemies. There are a million things I could say about that. Um, We live in a pretty different world. uh, And sometimes, like in 2021, when we hear things like that, we're like still reeling in the effects of colonialism, like we are on the land of a displaced people right now. We have freaking Christopher Columbus in the window, right? So we we sometimes hear like that violence, like it kind of makes us feel some type of way, and maybe not, but for me it does. Um, I'm not going to talk about that this morning. I just always feel like it's important to name it. <laughs> uh, But what I do want to say is I think it's really important that we acknowledge how that name of God is functioning in Isaiah 9, which is to say this. The reality for the Israelites is they are about to be displaced, they are about to be a conquered people, and they are about to lose all control. And so to to declare the name of God Prince of Peace is to say that you will be in a safe socioeconomic environment again because of who your God is. But what we also know for the people of Israel, through the entire biblical history, they were occupied the entire time. If it wasn't the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians. If it wasn't the Babylonians, it was the Persians. If it wasn't the Persians, it was the Romans. Like, despite them being able to return to their land, there's always that dynamic, like we're still displaced. So that being said, what I actually want to talk about today, what I want to look at, is the tension in the passage of proclaiming this name, this reality of God, ruler of shalom, hoping That the actual version of shalom, of harmony and wholeness, will be realized. And I wanna juxtapose that against a lived reality that seemingly couldn't be further from this vision of wholeness and harmony, right? Like said, different, how do we know the shalom of God, the peace of God, when our realities couldn't be further from it? And for me, listen, I know this is not true for everyone. I tend to be a deep thinker and a little angsty, Uh, so you do not have to connect (laughs) with what I'm saying, but for me, this feels like the hardest part of being a person of faith. Like where I believe these things about God, and there's just a dissonance about what I actually feel like is happening in the world, right? Because sometimes when we are in that exile place, or when we are in deep grief, or Or when we are in such a mess of a thing that it feels like there's no way out, let alone way forward. Like, even for the most positive and faith filled of people, it can be hard to not feel like, okay, if God is in fact this all powerful agent of shalom, like in control of all the things. And we as the people of God are given these promises that, like, I in fact can realize this kind of wholeness. And then we're given, like, the charge to participate with God in bringing of shalom into the world, right? Like, when we don't actually experience it, it can feel really hard to not just feel like God is withholding. Like, surely you could just open your hand. Right? Or we, we turn to a theology that says, uh, well, just wait till you die. <laughs> then Shalom will be realized. And so we put all of our resources and energy into creating this like intricate theology of eternal life. And man, that belief at times can function as stunning hope. And at other times, it can function as like a weird escapism that breeds denial, that abdicates responsibility, that like prevents accountability so that shalom could actually be realized in our relationships, in our systems, in our structures. And I just believe that like, that is actually God's vision for the world, that those things would be restored and realized. Are you in the existential tension with me right now? Because when you're in the tension of it yourself, or you at least let yourself feel it, it's incredibly difficult to not just think in terms of like, which reality can I trust? Like kind of a dualism with it? Which one can I hope for? Can I expect it? Will the shalom, the wholeness, and harmony be realized? Or will we have to stay in the grief, the injustice, the pain? Fill in the blank, right? And I want to articulate, like, some of that tension with a story of an interaction I had in the last couple of months, and um, in part, I share it because I've actually had this interaction multiple times, and it's conversations that are just burned in me, and it's making me wonder if there aren't brushstrokes of, like, No, this is a really common reality right now. A couple months ago, I was frequenting my local Chipotle, um, and I saw a man sitting in the doorway just charging his phone. And occasionally, I'll just feel curious about a person and um, will say hello, and so I did. And I introduced myself, and I learned um, that this man's name was Walter. Walter means strong fighter. Walter had been experiencing homelessness for the last couple months. Um, and it didn't take long in our conversation for him to just describe a litany of losses that he had experienced in the last year. Um, he lost employment. Then you lose housing. He lost his pet. He lost Every living family member. Do you want to talk about the causes of homelessness? Like what happens when your first ring isn't there? Um, His last living family member actually passed resting in his lap. And so we talked, and he processed that, and we remembered his auntie together. We prayed. And as I got up to leave, I asked if I could give him a hug. He said yes. And so we just kind of held each other there for probably a weird amount of time. (laughs) Um, And he sobbed. And what he kept saying was, it feels so good to be touched. Like, that's what isolation does, right? And now, I don't tell you that story to elevate my saviorism and benevolence. I don't tell it to exploit or romanticize this man's pain. It's like nothing romantic about that. Nor do I say it to make you feel guilty about anything. I tell the story because it highlights the layers of wrongly ordered things that is a reality for this person and people. And many of those things are the products of pandemics. They're the products of systems that are not adequately built to actually catch people when they fall? And I don't know what other layers were there for Walter, but I did get back in my car feeling some type of rage. (laughs) Because it shouldn't be like that. And we don't have to look long or far to stumble upon a million realities every day where God's shalom is not fully realized. I know it's in the room. Like the slog that so many of us have had to be in, healthcare workers, teachers, like the anxiety, the depression, terminal illness, like all the things, right? And it's frickin' Christmas. And it's not that, like, like, I'm really excited about my decorations. <laughs> and, like, this holiday can sometimes come with, like, a, a strange pressure to, like, feel good, right? And if you feel good, I'm so glad. <laughs> Keep feeling good. Um, we have to navigate gatherings <laughs> in a pandemic and weird relationships right now. I think that's probably the most common conversation I have is like, what do I do with this? And yet, like we gather here or online or on a podcast. I don't know why all the time, except that maybe sometimes I just think for a moment we have to settle in and just be reminded that God's name is prince of peace keeper and ruler of shalom perfectly whole and i guess my best move is that i want to bring us to the scriptures this morning words that have carried us through ages and the divine force behind these words And this name of God, we are invited to actually know and realize. The very passage is positioned in such a way where in the midst of doom and gloom comes light. Verse 1, the gloom will be dispelled for those who are anxious. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. Like the very words of scripture are structured in such a way to remind us that it will not always be dark. It will not always be this way. You will laugh and feel joy again. The grief that you feel so deep today might be lighter tomorrow. You maybe don't have control, but you have not lost all agency. A form of accountability might be realized honoring Dante Wright's life. It doesn't mean that we don't have to adjust to new normals and get comfortable with places in our lives that are not rightly ordered and that might not be realized in our lifetime. But it does not mean that God has issued a permanent state of despair over our lives. Like, yes, we might live our lives with parts of them not fully realizing this vision of Shalom, but it is not all the parts. There is still good, there is still hope, there is still provision. In the words of Howard Thurman, he calls them holy coincidences. It's the moment where you're met, where you get the breath, right? And so when we say the name of God, Keeper of Shalom, Prince of Peace, it almost functions as an act of resistance. To say that despite the fact that the Shalom of God doesn't seem realized in this part of my life or in this part of the world that I am proximate to, I will still walk towards that vision of wholeness and completeness because to do otherwise betrays the fact that shalom, wholeness, and harmony, like a version of the thing, is realized every day. So I'm going to try a thing, and if I'm being totally honest, I don't know how theologically sound this thing is. (laughs) But it has been working for me, (laughs) and it's called this, Lower the Bar. (laughs) What I'm not saying is don't, like, you know, lose hope (laughs) of the vision. But what I am saying is when we think about things like God's shalom realized, we think of it sometimes on massive scales, like injustice will never happen again or I will never feel depression ever again, right? Either something is perfectly whole and harmonious, or it's just utterly irredeemable. No incremental progress, middle ground, or redefining of expectations whatsoever. And so, noticing that tendency in myself, I'm trying something different, and I'm calling it lowering the bar, (laughs) but it's more, can I expand my definition of what Shalom actually is? And it sounds like this. I'm just going to read these sentences. We may have to adjust to new normals we never envisioned for ourselves, but maybe there's a Shalom in the adjustment. Maybe Shalom comes in the muscle of resilience where though we live with a persistent grief, We were able to get up in the morning and brush our teeth. And if you weren't able to get up in the morning and brush your teeth, change the qualifiers. Maybe shalom is realized when people show up for you, or when you were finally able to show up for yourself. Maybe for Jenna and Walter. White lady and strong fighter. Maybe it came in eye contact and hugs. Like the sharing of what we were able to bring to each other. Like I received from that too. Sorry, I can't see now. something wrong, made right, for just a moment. It happens every single day. Can we see it? Because I'd like to suggest that if we can see and receive the parts of Shalom that are actually realized no matter how simple the form, the unrealized parts cannot drown us. That is the resistance when we speak the name of God, Prince of Peace, Ruler of Shalom, who helps us see it. And so where did Shalom come for you today? Where was it realized? Like, we don't get to sidestep the risk and vulnerability of longing for something we haven't yet realized, and the foolishness it can sometimes feel like to keep having the same conversation with that family member in hopes that Shalom comes, to keep going on the dates so that your desire actually is realized, seeing one more doctor or showing up to one more protest, Like, what keeps us doing that if not a vision and hope that a sense of shalom, wholeness, might actually fall upon us in the journey? May it be so. So as we transition here to a time of response and reflection, I'm going to pray. And we're going to open just a moment of silence for you to sit with whatever it is that's stirring, for you to trust that a God with the name Shalom, Keeper of Shalom, can meet you. And after that, um, we'll be led in some music. You'll also be given the opportunity, if you would like, to participate in communion, Um, So on either sides here, uh, you're invited to do that. All the bread is gluten-free. There's red wine and white grape juice. You can grab a little hand sanitizer, take the bread and dip it in the cup. And know that the body of Christ was broken for you, and the blood of Christ was shed for you. Would you pray with me? God, Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We entrust ourselves to the degree we are able in this moment to you, asking that you would meet with us. Amen. <sighs> We're going to be okay. Um, We are having Christmas Eve gatherings at 2 and 4. It will be live streamed. The 26th, no gatherings. And then January 2nd, just one at 10 a.m. Pajama Sunday. Uh, It'll be fun. Receive these words as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up their face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord lift up their countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.